As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow board member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors and you just don't know what to say to them, so you ignore them instead? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow men while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? In order to help, Leading Saints has put together the LGBT Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of the most popular sessions are available now to watch. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through various ways, including this very podcast that you're listening to. I hope you subscribe. Maybe leave us a review while you're at it. And I think you'll enjoy the content you find on this podcast. And then jump on over to leadingsaints.org and you'll find thousands of articles dedicated to leadership context as it relates to uh, being a Latter-day Saint. Uh, we have virtual summits that we've done. Check us out on social media and also a, a weekly newsletter that goes out that has unique content you won't find anywhere else. So a jump into the Leading Saints world. We're glad to have you. All right, today I'm connecting through the powers of the internet with uh, Bridgette Heller. How are you, Bridgette? I'm awesome. Now you are in uh, sunny Arizona. We're recording this in uh, June, the end of June. So it's hot there, huh? It's hot. It's melt the crayon on the car seats hot. <laughs> Nope. Has that, that's, you speak from experience? Is that um, what's happening? Much experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, and are you born and raised in Arizona? Actually, no, my dad was air force. So all over the Western United States, I went to high school in Montana. So I kind of claim that as home. Oh, cool. That's great. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we connected on, uh, Instagram. I'm going through my, uh, my uh, history here of the Instagram messages I've received. And, uh, I don't know if, uh, you reached out to me about the, the interview I did about called is aspiring wrong. Was that your first mm -hmm. leading saints, uh, exposure? It was nice. Nice. And, uh, you felt inclined to reach out to me then, huh? Yeah. Cause I was digging it. I was digging what you were talking about. And as someone who has been in many leadership positions in and out of the church, it just struck a chord with me. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you reached out. And then I, uh, flipped the, the tables on you and said, Hey, what, uh, what leadership callings have you had? And then, uh, here we are today going to talk about your time as a relief society president. This was a few ago, a few years ago that you served, but, uh, you were a, a young relief society president. Is that right? Yeah, I was 30 years old, a family ward. I'd actually just lost my sister. She had passed away three months before I got the calling. So in a very interesting time of life, right? Still mourning and grieving that loss and um, big, big ward that we had 180 kids in that ward. It was just crazy big family ward. So it was a wow. good time. I was very young and learned a lot. And what do you remember from the, the story of being asked to serve? Is there, is there any story behind that or is it pretty typical? No, it was really interesting. I knew I was going to be asked. You know, um, the Lord prepares you when you need it. <laughs> he knows what you need uh -huh. when you need it. And I definitely needed it. And I kept, I would be at church and I would think, who would I call as a counselor? And I kept looking at my husband and he's like, Bridget, stop that. What are you doing that for? 
<laughs> like, I don't know. I just keep thinking, who would I have as counselors and what does this ward need? And I remember one really, really intense night watching a situation happen after an, a Relief Society activity and just being devastated by these two women that were really upset with each other. And I went home and I cried and I thought, why do I have all these overwhelming emotions about the women here? This is kind of ridiculous. And then the bishop came a week later and he said, Bridget, I need to talk to you and your husband. And I looked at my husband. He says, you don't know that's what it is. You don't know. <laughs> and, but of course it was. Uh, he called me to be Relief Society president. And it was just the weirdest thing because we had just gotten a Relief Society president, but she ended up moving last minute after only being in for four or five months. So it was very unexpected. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, going back to that, uh, aspiring episode, uh, you know, there's certain this cultural feeling that, uh, yeah, if I, if I even play with the idea that I'm the next, whatever the release site president or bishop or, and, and asking yourself, what are, what are the things that this ward needs? Even if you aren't called like, that's still like a healthy mm -hmm. exercise because every member of the church can, uh, contemplate about what does this ward need? And regardless of the position I'm in, I could probably help in some way. Right. Yep. A hundred percent. And so you were called and uh, anything you remember about just transitioning to that calling that you found difficult or maybe a way you went about it that was uh, more helpful? Um, it was very, okay. It's like trying to take all the memories and put them in this beautiful, succinct way. <laughs> so so many things. I was young, right? I was young and I had young kids and this was a very established ward, wonderful human beings, of course. And some of the ladies got together and had a lunch as they often did. And one of them was, she said, how can she possibly help us? She's just a cheerleader. She's just a cheerleader. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's not going to be able to help us. And, you know, somebody was very helpful and thought I should know about that conversation. So I remember being devastated and thinking, I know I'm weak. I know I'm young. I know that I don't know what I'm doing. But I also knew that the Lord had very much called me right? Because I'd had all these experiences. The bishop had had his own experiences and I was getting all these thoughts and personal revelation from me constantly. So I knew I was where I was supposed to be. And so one Sunday I stood up and we were talking about ironically judgment and what that looked like and, you know, all these different principles around love and kindness and forgiveness. And I remember bearing my testimony at the end of it and looking at the ladies and saying, I might be just a cheerleader. I might be just a cheerleader, but I will cheer for you through your hard stuff, through the loss of a loved one. I will cheer you through your kids leaving you. I will cheer you through your sickness. I will cheer you through all of it. I'm here for you. I will cheer for you. And I remember the look on the lady's face and thinking, I can do this. That was scary as heck, but I can do this because I love them so much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was hard. And, and it was not an easy transition. Yeah. Did you find over time that you sort of won the hearts of some of those that were confused by, by your call? For sure. Because I was willing to speak real. And I think that is missing in a lot of leaders is that authenticity. What people need to know is that you love them, that you are there for them, that you will support them. People don't need a counselor and you're not, most of us aren't counselors, nor do we have the education behind it, right? People don't need someone to fix all their things. They have to fix their marriage. They have to fix the things happening in their house, but they do need someone to love them and to teach the gospel. And when you look mm -hmm. at the leadership, even if you go to the handbook, that's what it really talks about is being like Christ, loving like Christ and teaching the doctrine. 
teaching the doctrine. In fact, I even printed it up here and put it Alma 31, 5. Alma's talking about the people and he says, maybe he says that they should try the virtue of the word of God. And I, I was like kind of laughing because I think that's how we do it in church a lot is we try treats and we try handouts and we try fun activities. And then last we're like, oh, maybe I will try the word of God and see if that helps people. And so people did turn around and embrace me, but every single person I talked to now from that time says it's because I love them. And because I talked about the gospel, I taught the principles of the gospel. That was the heart of it. Yeah. And so when you say like being authentic, if you're coaching another, you know, Relief Society president about how to be authentic in that role, where would you start to help them understand how to do that? I think when you're struggling, you have to let people know you're struggling and delegate you have counselors for a reason, especially in the Relief Society. You don't have just have counselors. You have ministering sisters and activities and you have all these people set up. It's a beautiful organization and you have to let go of more to have more. But the biggest thing is I remember walking through Costco and I was having some hard personal family stuff at the time and then Relief Society. And Relief Society was all encompassing and all surrounding my every part of my life. And I remember I just was like, I just need a moment to process life. And I started crying in Costco. And as soon as I walked around the corner, of course, there were two younger sisters from the ward. Hey, Bridget, are you okay? I was like, ah, can't even cry in Costco alone. So like, I just had to say, yeah, it's, life is hard. I'm okay though. You know, like, but yeah. I didn't always say, yeah, life is hard. It's okay. A lot of times I would say I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. Can you do? I really allowed my counselors to be counselors and I didn't view the gospel as a burden for them, but as a way that they could grow and learn and come to Christ and that we could grow and learn together. And I think that if I was counseling a Relief Society president, I would say, let them into your heart. Sometimes say, this is hard. Sometimes say, I don't know the answer because you don't have to know every answer and it doesn't have to be easy. That doesn't make you actually relatable to the sisters or to the brethren. It makes you approachable and untouchable. Yeah. So I, you said a phrase I want to go back and, and explore that they just, and correct me if I wrote this down wrong, but let go of more to have more. What do you mean by that? I think when we try and hold it all, we can't. We can't. When we try and minister to every sister ourselves, when we try and oversee every activity, when we try and be the mouthpiece and the one that's serving every time someone's in the hospital, every time someone's sick, every time, right? We can't do that all and we'll wear ourselves out completely. Like completely. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who you are. It, it's like the old word of wisdom can't run faster, right? Then you yeah. should, because then you just don't, you just run out of energy. But when you let go of that, when you allow other people to serve, then they step into it. They feel the love of Christ. There's other connections made and the ward and the sisters and you, you feel that it comes back to you tenfold. And I'm a yeah. doer. Like I'm a doer. So I, when the Lord says, project, go do, I'm like, okay, I'm here for it. But I have a really hard time letting go. So when I say let go to have more, I know how hard it is to let go because I will try and keep it every time just because I think I should do it because that's what he asked. But a lot of times what he's asking is, this is what I need done. Now ask me who you want to do it because I'll show you yeah. my miracles, my work. I'll show you if you'll let me. Yeah. I love that in the context of like go to more to have more because 
not only do you get more like deeper, richer experiences, but those around you do as well. Right. And it leads Mm -hmm. me, I got to share with you my favorite quote as of my favorite quote of the month. All right. This is from, uh, and it's on my wall as I look up good minds have quotes on their walls. Right. And that's what, anyways, uh, it's from (laughs) Anne Morrow Lindbergh and says, my life cannot implement in action the demands of all the people to whom my heart responds. And it's so easy Mm -hmm. to sort of get on, you know, in this, uh, frame of mind as a leader, like, oh, you need to delegate more, right? You're doing too much. There's too much on your plate. But as a Relief Society president, as a bishop, as a church leader, sometimes it's like, how can I let this go? Like these people are suffering, you know, like I want Mm -hmm. to help them and I get that others can help them, but how can I just give it away? Like, cause it, it's part of this, uh, you know, your heart just aches for these individuals you lead. So it is harder to get away. And I think that creates a better dialogue of, and more empathetic perspective of leadership, especially those that maybe don't delegate as much. It's like, man, you know, their heart aches for these people. It's hard to delegate at times. But again, going back to your perspective that when you let go of more, like other other people gain more, you gain more and it's beautiful. But that that process can be more difficult than than just saying it, right? Yeah. And I think it always goes down back to the Lord help thou my unbelief. That is probably, if I had something stamped on my head or my heart, it would be help thou my unbelief. Because again, I'm a doer. So this process of letting go is really, really hard. And so a lot of times when I would need to let go, it was kind of that same concept. Okay, Lord, I'm letting this go. Help me see the miracle. Help me see why it matters. Help me see how it comes back. And then it would a hundred percent of the time come back more. And whether it was because someone learned or a connection was made that I never could have made if I had showed up, it was always more. Yeah, that's awesome. Love that principle. All right. And and that wasn't even one of the three that you sent me here that I requested, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll stumble over leadership principles as we go here. But as I do with the leading there, let me try that again. As I do with the How I Lead interviews, uh, I requested that you send me a, a handful of principles that maybe you felt uh, strengthened your leadership, helped you as you as you led. And uh, so let's go through some of those. The first one is all around the concept of, of empathy and, and being a more empathetic leader. And this is like, again, another one of those things, easier said than done. But I mean, how would you coach an individual through empathy or being more empathetic? Or what could we learn about empathy that would help us lead? Well, I think the biggest thing with empathy, and I have coached a ton of people through this inside and outside of the church. I always have this beautiful privilege of being number two in organizations. I usually started out as a secretary and then I end up number two. It's like one of those things that just happens again and again, but it's because I'm able to coach people through this and they need it. Successful leaders need empathy. And it doesn't matter if you're in the church or outside the church, a successful leader is full of empathy, or at least they're seeking empathy all the time. And the main way that I coach them through it is I just say, what else could be? What other way could we look at this? How else could we consider this person? Just for a moment, not saying it is, Right. Because we come with these preconceived notions, especially in the church, because there's always the one family or the four families that ask things again and again and again. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's what else could we consider with this family? How else could we help them? What else could we consider as far as their emotional health or their physical health? And I think just considering the possibilities. That's what I say. Consider the possibilities. Just doing that, opening up your heart to that allows the Lord to come in and show you his way. And a lot of times we don't even get to that point as leaders because we're not empathetic. We're just trying to do, do, do back to that doing. We're just trying to get the things done. And so we haven't opened our heart up actually to what does he want? 
And when we consider the possibilities and sit back with it, it allows the spirit to jump in there and be like, hmm, consider this, or let me tell you this that you might not have known, or maybe it could be. And then it just opens the pathway for different discussions, different plans, different, you know, maybe we can help the family be self-sufficient instead of just serving them again and again and again and wearing everyone out. How could we do that? What would that look like? It just helps you consider the possibilities. And I, I had an experience even a few weeks ago where it came up a ward council discussion that had happened over the years. And this one sweet friend, she said, I hope it wasn't a positive discussion. She says, I hope when I went through my darkest times that they never judged me like that. And it really yeah. struck my heart because we think as leaders that we have the right to make calls in people's lives. And we still don't. We still don't. Yeah. We get to help them and love them on their journey, but we don't get to decide their life. We don't get to decide what this trial equals for them. That's God's. And so opening up our heart and considering the possibilities can help that leave. And if you've ever been in an awkward moment where like this feels weird, it's probably because judgment was there versus empathy. And, and my mind goes to so many things just, and, and, you know, this, what you talk about, this skill of empathy really is a skill and it takes some practice. So you have to recognize those moments where it's like, oh, I can, I can sort of feel some frustration with this family I'm working with and they keep coming back and that's causing me to make judgment. I'm going to just step outside of the context of the situation for a minute and see if I can gain some deeper empathy and say, what am I not considering about this person? Like, right. Like what, maybe they're going through something that I'm not aware of or, you know, and, and that just that process, that exercise really opens up your mind to, to more of an empathetic uh, posture uh, in that relationship. And I, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes here, but there is this great video that is from a speech by Brene Brown. Everybody loves Brene Brown, right? And she's Miss Empathy. And if you, and I'll, I'll link to it, but it has a, it portrays a bear and a goat and, and the difference between empathy and sympathy and, and uh, how sometimes we are this goat sort of talking down to people saying, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. You know, if you just did A, B, and C, you wouldn't have these problems you deal with. So let me help you do A, B, and C rather than just like sitting with them in the pain, sitting them in, in the trial, in that dark moment, because at the end of the day, you aren't going to fix it. Only the great healer, Jesus Christ can fix it. And our, our roles sort mm -hmm. of sit in that. So I love that, that focus on empathy, anything else around the topic of empathy that would be worth mentioning. Well, I just think following up what you said years ago, I was sitting in a mindset class, the first one I ever took and the one that altered my whole path. And she gave this example of a lawn dying and the neighbor coming over and offering all of these tips as to how to fix the lawn. And she was trying to explain empathy. And she said, you know, you're sitting here staring at your lawn, you're heartbroken because it's just not working no matter what you've tried. And you've tried the fertilizer, you've tried the sprinklers, you've tried different timings. And your neighbor's like, well, have you considered this one thing over here? And have you considered this other thing over here? And you know, I, I mow my lawn at Saturday at 10 and it works why don't you try that? And she said, what's wrong with it? And I'm thinking, I was very young okay, to, to my credit, I guess I was very young. I was in my twenties. I thought, what's wrong with that? They're trying to help. What is wrong with this? Yeah. And she said, no, they're not trying to help. They're saying, look at me, I'm doing it right. And you're doing it wrong. What's wrong with you? And that's mm -hmm. not empathetic. Empathy is oh man. This must be heartbreaking. What can I do? What can I do? Kind of like you said, how can I sit here with you? in this. 
And that person, I mean, they have the best intentions, not like they're this evil person that's just judging people. It's it's a natural thing to sort of say, I want to help you. So let's fix it. This is what I do to fix my lawn. Like, why don't you do that? Right. But it, or it's, you sort of have to take that pause and like breathe into it and be like, okay, no, I'm actually just going to sit with them and what they're experiencing. And I'm sure they'll figure it out. Right. And that, that's the thing. That's empathy. It's so, like you said, it's so simple, but it's so hard to do because our natural yeah. inclination is to jump in and fix and real empathy actually doesn't do that at all. Real empathy loves and guides in a way that allows them to fix. Awesome. All right. The next principle you put is communication. And, uh, how did you use communication effectively? So here's the thing with communication. I cannot tell you how many times people have said, I never got that. And you're like, I texted it. I passed out flyers. I did it in a binder. I did it in an email. It's on the Facebook page. Why didn't you get it? Right? <laughs> like you did all the things and they still didn't get it. But people are busy. And the last thing they're looking for every week is like, hmm, has Bridget sent me that very important communication yet? It's just not even on there for them. It's not on their priorities, right? So communication has to be done again and again in every way possible. And you really have to look at your people, your organization, your population and think, okay, what is most effective for them? Do I have a young ward where texting really would be the best thing on earth? And even if that's true, okay, so texting is my number one, but then they're still going to need emails. They're still going to need flyers. They're still going to need, because that's not true for everyone. Right. And uh, communication, I think is the number one thing. Cause I, every time I've ever, ever seen someone's feelings hurt, whether it was from a calling that they were called to, they didn't maybe even know about that happened to me. (laughs) <laughs> I was literally <laughs> sustained in a word there and Bridgette Heller. And I don't even remember what it was. And I thought I stood up and thought, Oh, I didn't even, but it's always communication, right? When people are hurt, it's a responsibility they didn't know about. It's because they were released and they didn't know until they'd already called the new people. And then they're just catching up to you. It, it's always communication. And that's what people, I, I said, communication is consideration and it's become one of my mottos. When you're considerate of people, you communicate with them as quickly Mm -hmm. as you can and as effectively as you can. And the other thing I coach people, when I coach people, I tell them this, don't make it weird because they come to me with really awkward (laughs) situations. Like, what do I do, Bridget? How do I approach this? I'm like, well, don't make it weird. Just say it. Say the truth with kindness and love. Just say it. The longer you wait to communicate, the weirder it gets for everybody. So don't make it weird. Just say it how it is. Put it out as many forms as you can, as quickly as you can, and as lovingly as you can. And what you call it? Communication is consideration. Is that how you said it? Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And 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 I was just talking to somebody about this today. She's a primary president. And she um, and I get this this email or this message a lot where these organizational leaders that are on a ward council, they're like trying to staff their organization, especially I mean, a primary president. That's a lot of staffing, mm-hmm. and you know, they, they turn names into the bishopric and then it like goes into this black box or this black hole. And you're just like, every time the bishopric stands up to announce the, uh, you know, the sustainings, you lean in, like, is this the week they finally call my person? Right. And there's just a lack of communication. And, and some people get really frustrated. It's like been four or five, six weeks. And I've turned this name in, like, I'm tired of pestering them. Like what's happening and communication. I love that communication is consideration. And the way to do that is you need to fantastic system, right? You you can text people, you can snail mail them, you can email them, whatever. But if they don't 
know if there hasn't been an expectation put in place as far as like, this is how we communicate in the Relief Society. If you ever have a question, check your email because we send out a weekly email or whatever it is, right? And, uh, and that way, establishing that expectation and having a system in place, you suddenly become a very considerate leader. So, if you're a bishopric and people are being confused by, okay, I submitted this name, what's next? Like, maybe there's a system you could put in place that every three days, every one week, every whatever you notify people of what, where the calling's at or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that system. And I, but I love that in the context of this is being considerate and that's how you show love. You know, we, we use that term a lot. Oh, just love your people. Well, a great way to do that is to be, to, is to communicate and be considerate that way. Yes. And you know, it's interesting. You said you have to set up a system. I agree a hundred percent. You have to set up a system and then you have to live by that system. Right. Because if yeah. you say, everything is going to be email and I'm going to do it once a week. You have to be able to commit to that because if you don't, now you've lost their trust again. Now they don't trust you again. So (laughs) it's like the first, the first time you don't communicate is strike one. Now you say, I'm going to communicate, but you don't strike two, right? People only have so much kindness to give. They've got busy lives and a lot going on. So they may not give you consideration back if you're not giving it to them just because they might not have that in them at the time to do it. And, you know, of course, you always have those very sweet people in the world who are like, I see you. It's hard. It's okay. You got this. But most <laughs> people are just trying to live life and get communicated with. So I love, yeah. like you said, that you need to set up the system, but then you have to stick to that system so that there can be that trust and that consistency. And you will find if you break from the system, you're like, oh, nobody really reads these or cares or listens. Chaos Bing, right away. As soon as you break from it, because they really do, even if they don't show you, they do. All right. The third principle you put is paint the vision. How did you paint the vision as a Relief Society president? Paint the vision is probably, I mean, I'm a motivational speaker, a mindset coach, right? Like paint the vision is my favorite place to live. I'm all about that. Finding that inspiring quote that you build a whole lesson from or the year theme for your organization and really digging into that and loving it and creating it. I mean, painting the vision is what gives us hope. When you talk about your, your hard moments, your dark moments, your frustrating moments, the thing that usually pulls you out of it is that vision of what can be, of what could be, right? And so when you paint the vision, when you're painting hope, when you're sharing principles of the gospel and beautiful quotes, and there are so many out there, when you're doing that for those in your organization, then you're giving them little sparks of hope that when they're in the, those moments, they can pull from. And they're going to want to be there and want to come because they want to, they want to keep building their little sparks into a bonfire. They want to be there. And I love painting the vision of the gospel because it's already been done. We just get to pick up the paintings and show them off. Really. We're not creating the vision from scratch. It's already there for us. And we just get to kneel in humble prayer and say, Lord, what vision do you want painted for these sisters? What vision do you want painted for this ward? What vision do you want painted for the sacrament talk? And he will send it because he very much knows that painting the vision, that's what he does. That's why we have the scriptures. And do you remember any uh, specifics about like the visions that that you painted for your Relief Society or how did you establish them and how did you keep them top of mind for people as you were, you know, going through the Relief Society president motions? Well, one of the things that we did, and I wish I had it next to me, but it's upstairs because I keep it right by my bed um, because it helps me remember the vision, right? But one of the things that we did is we started to explore the whole analogy of a seed, right? Surprise! 
surprise. <laughs> but we started to explore the analogy of a seed and how it grows and how it can turn into something big and beautiful. And it really kind of stuck with the sisters and struck a chord. And from there, we kind of thought, what could we do for the sisters that would help them hold the vision, right? Help them. I'm all about inner work and really understanding what's happening in our mind and aligning that with the Lord. And there's a lot of really cool quotes on that, but and we won't do that right now. So anyway, we created this book and every book had a theme for the month and it had a conference talk that went with it and then an exercise they did with it. And we brought that into our monthly lessons. We brought it into our uh, monthly activities that we did and they had this spiral bound book and it was starting in January a seed and by the end of it, you know, they ended with their testimony and it was a tree. And so it kind of followed this progression of growth through it. And it it was interesting because it was a lot of work, like crying on the ground. What am I doing? This was a stupid idea. Work, so much work, (laughs) but things lined up. We gave it to them as a Christmas present. And it's interesting because to this day, this was, you know, seven years ago, I will randomly get emails and ask ladies, Hey, can I get a copy of that? We called it the journey project, the journey journal. You know, can I get a copy of that? I kind of want to review that. I kind of want to go on the journey again. So it was pretty cool because while it was a labor of intense love, it also painted the vision. It mattered. All right. So I got to dig into the details of this. The journey, what did you call it? The journey journal? Uh-huh. And so break it down. Yeah. Like what, this was a physical journal that you took and then maybe the vision was on the front or like, how did it, how did it all work? Yeah. So it was the journey project, man, I should have brought it down here, but it's the journey project. If you want to go and and get it, we can, we can pause, but um, yeah, I'll go grab it real quick. I'll be right back. All right. Through the magic of podcasting, she has quickly run up and got the journal and uh, it is magically in her hands now. So it's magically in my hands and I'm not out of wind from running up the stairs. Uh, If you need to take a minute, you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So for the podcast audience that that can't see it, uh, this is a spiral bound notebook that has a, the Mm -hmm. journey project 2015 on the front. And then what's the subtitle say on that? So this was the Bishop's theme. It was get on the path, stay on the path. Let's go. That was his, like what we're going to do for the year. And then is it, when you gave it to them, is it, was it a completely empty notebook or? Yep. So each month, like I said, it had a quote, it had a theme because it was the path, right? Staying, studying the scriptures keeps me on the right path was me. And then April was conference and how there were different conference prompts of how to take notes during conference. Cause that was some of the things we learned in getting to know the sisters is that a lot of things seem like, well, of course we know how to take notes during conference, but a lot of people don't, they don't know what to look for or what maybe they could ask, or, you know, you get on your knees and ask some questions and seek them during conference. A lot of people don't actually know that because they haven't been taught it. We're all at different places in the gospel and come in. So it was a lot of the essentials. The first month is all on fresh views and mindset and how we understand the Lord's view of us and Satan's view of us and how to work through that. I mean, so every month had different themes and different Hmm. prompts and questions we could ask ourselves and we would use them in our lessons. And then the last month it said, sisters in parentheses, so shall we not go on in so great a cause, go forward and not backward. Courage, sisters, and on, on to the victory, which is one of my all-time favorite scriptures. It's these DNC yeah. one twenty eight twenty two, but like that was what we wanted them to do was to understand life is a journey. 
and it's beautiful and that they could find beauty in the journey. So I, I love this on many different levels is, yeah, I mean, is it required that every Relief Society president go out and get these journals bound and designed and whatnot? And, and I hope that you provide some awesome screenshot, uh, screenshots or whatnot so that audience can maybe see exactly what, uh, how this was put together. But like having something physical sort of unites, has a natural tendency to unite a group, something they can touch and feel and take with them and put on their nightstand and write in, right? And it's not like there's, it's not like this was some hard curriculum that each sister had to go through. It was just like, here's a place to engage with God. And I love this concept of, you know, I, one of my mantras is that never mistake an ability problem for a motivation problem. Like it's not that all the, most people are unmotivated to take notes during conference or, or seek a deeper, deeper spiritual experience. A lot of the times they just don't know how. And so you gave them a tool mm-hmm. that would help stimulate that ability to, to know what to do during in that, in that context. Right. And so I love it again, not that every, every release that I present use run out and make journals, but this worked for you. And I assume, I mean, do you feel like you got a pretty good response from it? We did. We did. And we got some not awesome responses from it because people have to be ready. And when you're really pushing them and we were pushing for authenticity hard with the ladies, let's be real. Let's talk real. Let's engage. This particular ward was amazing, but had gotten really used to wearing a mask and presenting the perfect LDS churchgoer at church. And so Mm -hmm. we were pushing hard for let's be real. We can't help you unless you're real. Talk to us because they wouldn't talk. And then we'd find out they were devastated in their life in some area. And so we were really pushing for that. And then we're pushing, like you said, for essentials. And one of the things I'm big on, I'm an event planner as I have a company, it's an event company. And one of the things I'm really big on is like you said, the five senses, how can I help the sisters taste the gospel, hear the gospel, smell the gospel, see it, feel it. How can I help them do that? And by providing different experiences that were very intentional with that, then we allowed them to open up themselves a little more to what could be the possibilities, consider the possibilities. I want to make sure I got one more question for you, but uh, I, I didn't do a good enough job sort of uh, laying the foundation of who you are and what you do and whatnot. So you you are a, a life coach and a speaker. Uh, maybe give us the whole plug of what you do. And if people want to follow you, where, where would they find you? Uh, my name is Bridgette Heller and I run a company called The Strong and Capable and The Strong and Capable that story alone is very intense, how I came to that name and what it is. But the strong and capable, I believe that the world needs people who believe they're strong and capable, who know what, who they are, where they're going and how to get there. And the strong and capable is all about finding that person and loving that person. And I do it through the podcast, the strong and capable. I have a membership community called Awake. It's because Isaiah 52 wake up, arise, shake off the dust, right? We want Mm. people who are not letting the world influence them, but are living awake. And so that's the awake community. And of course, on Instagram, you can find me at Bridgette, B-R-I-G-E-T-T-E dot Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. Awesome. Love it. And I hope people uh, check you out there. The last question I have for you, Bridgette, is as you think back on your time serving as Relief Society president, being that leader, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? That is a good question. That's a great question, actually, because I think when you're a leader, when you want to be a good leader, which we all do, but when you really step into what does that look like? What does that feel like? What does it sound like? Right? You're letting go, as we talked about earlier, and that's hard for me to do. And so as far as following Christ, when I became a leader, it was so much. It was so much. I was a young lady, young family, 
big ward, just lost my sister, as I mentioned, there was so much on my plate that I had to let go. And when you let go and follow Christ fully, you feel him in your life in a whole different way. And so being a leader in the church has taught me to let go of so many things, let go of the control that I think I have, let go of trying to control other people and allow them to be leaders, to empower them to lead. And through being a leader in the church, I've understood that when I lift other people up, when I allow them to shine, that everyone shines and my purpose, wow, is accomplished too. So I think being a leader at the church has taught me a lot about leadership and my relationship with Christ is better because I know 100% I need Him. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense and share it with somebody who could relate to this experience. And this is how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling. And that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, uh, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them and uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. And there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.